I said it's good to be back home. Whenever I, I leave town, I can't help myself. I go out on a search on Sundays to find a church. And I always leave the church going, I wish I was home to go to church. <laughs> it's hard to find a good church. Where people want to focus on Jesus Christ and, and worship him. And when people want to be serious about the word and the purposes of the word. And where everything's not self-centered. But I'm so glad to be home, and um, Marty sends his love, and thanks to everybody that's been praying for his health. And I want you to know we could feel the prayers. We know those prayers are going forth, and we're so thankful because that's, that's everything. Everything is in God's hands. And uh, while we were down there, Marty, if you don't know, Marty, my husband, has been undergoing radiation treatments for cancer. And... Uh, while we were down there, I was seeking the Lord one day, and I always find it amazing how that when you're in a situation and you're seeking the Lord, I don't know if this happens to you, but the Lord will come through and he'll speak, and more often than not, what he says to me doesn't seem to be related at all to what I'm going through. <laughs> and it's just, it's, were you listening to me? But um, it's so funny, but he knows what we need. And usually what we need is, is trust, not answers. And uh, he began to speak to me a word down there that is just so beautiful. And it's really not about physical healing, which was what I was thinking about. But if you will um, turn with me to Luke chapter 4. It's a passage of scripture we should all be pretty familiar with, but the Lord just opened it up to me in a beautiful way that I have never seen before. You know, um, many of us in this Christian walk, we, um, we go forward and we get stronger and we get deeper in some areas. And then um, more often than not, most of us will find that we have a problem area that just keeps tripping us up. And we'll be, we'll be going along so well and, and we feel like we've got the victory. We feel like we're maturing and then before we know it, we tripped and we fell on our nose dealing with that same stupid thing that we thought we were over, that we thought we were stronger. And um, sometimes we will labor in prayer and witnessing and love and, and bring a loved one to the Lord and bring them out of some hard things. And you see them at the altar and you see them cry and you see the light of God come on their face. And it was real. And a couple weeks later... You're like, what happened? They're just gone. They're just out there, like, like they didn't even have that experience that you know that they had. And the Lord began to speak to me out of this passage of Scripture that we don't often let him go all the way in deep enough and do what he needs to do. We walk around sort of half-healed, half-put-together, and, and, and we're satisfied with that. Until we get into trouble, and then we cry out to him, you know, why'd you let this happen? And why? And most of the time, it has more to do with what's broken in us than that circumstance that seemed to come up out of nowhere and bite us. And the Lord keeps trying and trying to get our attention and to get us to be still. Um, pray with me. 
Father, we come before you tonight in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we just, we're thankful for this house. We're thankful for this time of worship. We're thankful for your presence that we feel. We thank you for the songs that you've given us to sing and the voices and the musicians. We're thankful for the seats we have to sit in and the lights and this building and the, and the freedom that we don't have to worship in fear tonight, Lord God. We're thankful for that, Lord. Help us to take advantage of this night and to receive from your Holy Spirit all that we need for the days ahead. Lord, that we would take it seriously, even as I learned tonight in this service about the young boy who went home to be with you. Nothing is certain, Lord, except Jesus Christ and the eternity you promised us. So, Lord, speak to us. We ask, change us tonight, Lord God. Go deeper inside of us. Wake us up. Speak to us. Thank you for that word this morning, Lord, and may we hold on to that and chew upon it, Lord. And we just love you, Lord, tonight, and we worship you. Change us into the image of Jesus Christ. Make us strong and whole. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse 18. We know in this uh, passage of scripture that Jesus Christ had been baptized by John in the Jordan. John had pointed him out as the Lamb of God. The Holy Spirit took him right out of the water and drove him into the wilderness to face Satan. And he was tempted by Satan. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights. He overcame all the temptations the same temptations that Eve fell to in the garden, Adam and Eve fell to in the garden. He was hit with them, and he conquered each and every one of them with the word of God and with his yieldedness to the spirit of God. And the Bible tells us that he came out of that wilderness full of the spirit, mighty and strong. And he comes into this synagogue, and uh, it was his custom to come in verse 16. He came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read, verse 17, and there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. You know, the church of today, the modern day church, will tell us that Jesus Christ came for any number of things and purposes. They'll paint a picture of Jesus and his heart and his purpose and the purpose of Father that's so far from what the Scripture says. And right here in verse 18, it tells us what he came for. Uh, verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. That very first phrase, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because... Because he's Jesus, because he's the son of God, because, because he's God. That's how I've always thought of it. But I was reading this the other day, and it's like the Lord said, no, not just because he was God. Even Jesus came, that anointing upon him was for a specific purpose, even though he was God. Does that make sense? And the anointing that's on any human being is for a specific purpose purpose. Jesus never took that anointing and did what he wanted with it. When Satan said, you, you look hungry, why don't you turn that stone into bread and feed yourself? You're the anointed one. Why don't you jump off the temple and those angels are commissioned to come because you're the anointed one. Why don't you take your anointing and take over the world? Jesus had that anointing and he was completely surrendered with it 
completely surrendered to it, to the will and the mind of the Father, step by step, day by day, going and getting up early in the morning, getting out with the Father to get his mind, to get his heart, never presumptuous, though he was God himself. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because, you can circle that word, because, he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, I looked up the word poor in the, in the Strong's, and it means figuratively or naturally to be um, completely destitute of anything that's necessary, to be completely without anything. And the primary meaning was to crouch, a position of humility, a crouching beggar, lower than everyone else, humbled and helpless. This is who he came to. We're going to read five, five descriptions of who Jesus came to. And the first one is this humble beggar. Uh, my son-in-law got up this morning and said it. What qualifies us to come to God and, be, and become sons and daughters of the Most High God is our complete poverty, our complete lack of anything good. And until we come to that knowledge, we really can't receive anything from him. As long as we're holding on to something that we think is good and we think we've got, that's a space God can't fill. And if we could see, like the Lady Ocean Church, who thought that they were rich and increased with goods, and, and Jesus looked at them and said, you're poor and wretched and miserable and naked and blind. If we could see through his eyes, and uh, that's something we need to pray about. God, today give me your eyes. When I look in the mirror of your word, give me your eyes. Don't let me see in my own deception and my own flesh. Don't let me see through the eyes of the, of the doctrines of today that are not right. We need to cry out to him like Bartimaeus did, open my eyes. Let me see. Give me vision, Lord. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Is there anybody here that's in that family of the poor tonight? We need him. We have nothing without him. He's our breath. He's our life. He's our hope. He's our joy. I've not found anything that can bring me lasting hope or joy or peace not even my own children, not my own husband, not my wonderful parents. They cannot feel my spirit. Only he can. And only they, my mother and dad, as much as they love me, they cannot protect me. They can't set my course. They can't keep me from the wicked one. Only he can. Only he has all life, all power, all joy, and all peace. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel and that word preach could be proclaim. Um, it could be to announce the good news to the poor. That's us. Praise God. Uh, number two, he hath sent me, God sent Jesus with the anointing to heal the brokenhearted. I'm going to read through it and then I'm going to back up. Number three, to preach deliverance to the captives. Number four, the recovering of sight to the blind. Number five, to set at liberty them that are bruised. And we're going to stop there. It goes on to talk about the acceptable year of the Lord. And all of these things are available to all of us because we are in the acceptable year of the Lord. But we're going to focus on these five groups of uh, people that he came to minister to.
And I don't see anywhere in there where he talked about to make us rich and famous, to, 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 to give us big houses, or even to give us a, um, a, a, the length of life we think we want. Or look what he said, to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of the sight to the blind, set at liberty them that are bruised. If we allow the Lord to do all those things in us, we are fit to be his servants. If we let him make us whole, then we're called to be his servants, his bond slaves, his hands, his feet, his mouth in the earth. And like himself, not to wake up and do our own thing, but we... Has anybody here been healed by Jesus? Has anybody here been brought out of sin and brokenness? and heartache. Has anybody here had those chains and bondages broken off of you? And when that was fresh, all you could think of is, I'm yours, Lord, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go. And then somehow as time creeps along, the spirit of the age and the spirit of the world creeps into us, and we just start going, thank you very much, Lord, and now I'm going to do my thing. He heals us, saves us, sets us apart for his work. This life is so short I listened to the testimony of a man who was an atheist, and he had a, he had a um, death experience. He died in a hospital, and the Lord brought him back. But while he was dead, he went to hell. And he described it, and he described the horror of it. And he had a praying mother who um, was in Australia, and I think he was in America or England. And that woman heard from the Spirit of the Lord and began to intercede and cry out for her son. And this man was a college professor, and he was deep in his atheism. And while he was, he was there being tormented by the devils who he, uh, they had every right to torment him. And through his mother's prayers, he came back. He, he repented. God gave him life, and he was given another chance. And that man passionately preaches the gospel. And, you know, I was listening to him, and I was thinking, when he was in that pit, you know, he wasn't down there thinking about his job or his finances or the way some person hurt him or what his plans were or what he missed out on. Or He was thinking, get me out of here. Oh, my God, all the stuff my mother told me was true. That was all he was thinking. He was thinking, this is eternal. This is forever. I, I heard, I heard um, Leonard Ravenhill once preaching, and he said that this was a true story, that a really horrific criminal had been caught and that he was on his way to the gas chamber and that um, a high church cold minister came to minister to him and said a bunch of you know King James stuff that didn't mean a word to him and that this criminal got really angry and he was a murderer just a just a perverted murderer and he got really angry when the guy got done doing his thing over him he's like is that it is that that's it? And he said, he told him, you know, I don't believe what you believe, but if I did believe what you believe, I would be ministering to me. I'd be telling me about, you know, I'd be, I'd be pulling for my soul. And, and uh, <clears throat> he was on death row. But we don't live in that kind of reality. And, you know, we have to fight for that kind of reality. Jesus lived in that kind of reality. 
Jesus went away with the Father. Jesus had visitations from angels. Jesus had a visitation from Moses and Elijah. Jesus lived in that other world. When the apostle Paul was saved, he lived in that other world. And you know, you and I are called to live in that other world. We have the same Holy Spirit that was upon Jesus, that was upon the apostle Paul, that was upon Peter. Hmm. You and I are supposed to be hearing every day, and I'm talking to me, every day what the Lord has. What if this church was closed on the day that that little boy was destined to give his heart to the Lord? What if Lori was too caught up in Sean in her own thing and said, I just can't make it, and those doors were closed? Is it possible? I hope it's not possible. I like to think God would have raised somebody else up. But is it possible that we can mess up somebody's destiny with Christ? At at least make it really hard because the scriptures talk about being accountable, having blood on our hands. And so we take it for granted. Well, today's not a special day. It's not a specially spiritual day. Today's a day I can take for me. How do I know? How do I know? How do I know who I'm going to run across? Pray for your brother today, Debbie. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, he, he needs prayer all the time. I will. I just want to do this first. How do I know where he's at? How do I know when somebody's been in an accident or when the devil is about to take somebody because they have no covering because they're in rebellion? And all it would take is the word of a blood-bought child saying, in the name of Jesus, I speak protection over that one today. And our own children. The devil will use the spirit of this world from the time we get up. The TVs are blaring. The radios are blaring. The, the, all of the electronic stuff is going off. And we've got this pulling us and that pulling us. And it's so easy to turn a deaf world, ear to the spirit world. And that's what the enemy wants. There's no way he can stop you from being a blood-bought child of God that can reach into the heavenlies and take hold of supernatural things and be a light and a power in the earth like Jesus was, like Paul was. If you want it, if you'll do it. So what does he do? He detours us. He detours. And, you know, when we get up there and we stand before the Lord and we say, you know, gosh, Lord, I was, I was, in, I was in, in the 20th, 21st century and It was hard. There was so much stuff going on. I wanted to do better, but you know how hard. There were so many distractions. I I didn't realize. We're responsible to stir ourselves up. Um, When we were down there, I didn't find a, a, you know, fellowship or anything. And so I felt myself sort of getting a little cold and sort of getting a little... You know, this is my day I'm going to do. I'm going to go shopping. I'm going to do this. And I I could feel it. And it's like, I've got to get with the Lord. And I got with the Lord, and my soul was still hungry. And I was reading, and I I went to my my little telephone. And I love that sermonindex.com. I can't find much of the modern preachers that I think that they have anything to say that can help anybody. That's just the truth. So I go on there, and I listen to these people who have passed away and gone home with Jesus and I was listening to this general colonel, somebody I'd never even heard of, this old Englishman. And he was in his 90s, and he was preaching. 
And man, it fed my soul. When he talked about Jesus, it was so real and so alive. And he talked about being totally sold out and totally committed and what we were bought for. My point is, we can find a way, if we want to, to focus ourselves, to stir ourselves up. I mean, in this country, we have more gospel available to us if we want to look for. Thank God for the recordings. I've listened to every, every message of Corey Ten Boom's that's been preached more than once. And when it's anointed, the anointing was upon Jesus to preach the gospel. When the anointing is on a vessel of God to preach the gospel, that word of God is alive, and it will get in you, and it will change you. So thank God for the people that are in this house when the doors are open. Amen. Do what you can do. Do everything you can. I mean, we're so greedy about some things, and we're so sparse about the things of the Lord. If you, if you, if you wrote out how you spend your time, how you spend your money, how you spend your thought life, how you spend your emotions, and you weighed it, how much of those things you give to the Lord compared to how much you give to whatever, we would find out how idolatrous we really are. How much we say, Jesus, you sit over here while I go over here to what's really important to me. I, w I was thinking, um, oh, I'll get back to that. Okay, to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To heal the brokenhearted. When you really look at these things, to me, when I look at it at first sight, I'm like, there's some stuff missing. There's just preach the gospel to the poor, heal the brokenhearted, deliverance to the captive, recovering of sight to the blind, set at liberty them that are the bruised. When I first read it, it just seemed like there was some stuff missing. I mean, that's it? That covers everybody? That covers everything? And it does. To heal the brokenhearted. There's not a human being that's ever been born onto this planet that hasn't had their heart broken by sin. Their own sin, the sin of somebody else, some poor children from the time they come out of the womb and, and take their first breath and cry, the sin of their parents slaps them in the face. And, and, and their parents got that way through the sin of, you know, whatever. There's plenty of sin to destroy us all. And that's what Satan did. And we are in a warfare from the time we are born into this earth. We come in the image of God. And there is an ancient enemy that was here before Adam and Eve were that showed up in the garden, that hates you and I with all the power and might and ferociousness that's in him. You look like your father, and he hates you. Whether you're serving Jesus or whether you're a child of darkness and you haven't come to the light, you're still made in the image of God, and he wants to destroy. We are in a war. And when we look at this, this second one, um, to heal the broken hearted. Um, right after that one comes to preach deliverance to the captives. And when I looked up the word captive, it actually meant prisoner of war. That's what it really means. Not just any kind of captive, but a prisoner of war. So the more that I looked at these words, the more that I saw, remember in 1 John, 1 John 3, 8, it says that Jesus was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. So what we're really looking at here in verse 18 and in Isaiah 61, 1, which is what he was reading from, 
we are looking at the destruction of human beings caused by the wicked one in this great warfare that we're in. And what his, he will use whoever he can use to attack people, and his goal is really to get us working with him, to mess up our own selves, which unfortunately is not that hard for him to do most of the time, um, to heal the brokenhearted. So I looked up the word heal because I noticed in Isaiah 61 it says to bind up the brokenhearted, and they translated it here to heal the brokenhearted. So I went back and looked up the original language, and when it said bind up, in here is how he heals. To bind up, to wrap firmly, to compress, to saddle, to stop, to rule, to gird about, to govern, healer, wrap about. And you see, that's why what, what I talked about, some of our patterns and, and so forth, the healing of the broken heart. We feel better. We get saved. We feel like a new person. But there's deeper healing that needs to take place, and it takes time. And, you know, all those words that I just said that were in the original language of Isaiah 61.1 where it says to bind up, to wrap firmly, to compress, to saddle, to stop, and to rule, to gird about, to govern, healer, wrap about. You know, if you have a broken bone, you know, you compress it. You put a cast on it. My mother um, fell the other day and, and broke her foot. She broke something in her heel, and she is now having to wear this, this cast and keep her foot raised, and she can't walk on it. And the doctor told her if she's not a good girl that it won't heal and that if it doesn't heal right for the rest of her life, every time she takes a step, she'll be in pain. And I went, that'll preach. We are not supposed to feel pain every time we take a step in life. We're not supposed to feel pain every time some little thing happens. Every little unkind word or half the time, nobody's even being unkind to us because of that brokenness in us that we've never let heal. We perceive things wrong, and everything hurts us. Oh, they, they're thinking this about me. Oh, they, meant th they said that, but they meant this. Well, this happened to me because nobody likes me, and this happened. People are always judging me. And in reality, it's just the own hurt of our own heart that we never let him get in there and heal. Now, those words to bind, I mean, we could spend the rest of the night on just this one part, to heal the brokenhearted, to wrap firmly, to compress. I like to saddle, to stop, and to rule, because that reminds me of a horse, when someone's breaking a horse. You know, they saddle that up. And you know when I don't know anything about horses, so I'm just guessing here. But I'm thinking that if you want to break a horse... You don't want to just dominate it. You want to bring some level of trust, right? So that horse still has spirit. And the Lord's like that. He's not going to knock you out and knock you down and make you stay there while he heals your heart. He's trying to bring us to a level of trust where we'll let him. And some of us have, have circumstances in our life where it's like, man, every time I get into a relationship, 
every time I get a new job, every time this, that, or the other, this happens, and we bolt, and we run, or we force something, or we, and the Lord is trying to get you to just stop. My mom can't walk on her foot. My mom had to let my dad make the salads for Thanksgiving and tell him how to do it, and I wasn't there, and I'm sorry I missed it. I wish they would have filmed it. <laughs> she has to let my dad wheel her around. And I mean, this is so, I can't think of another person that this would be harder for than my mother. She's the most capable, take charge. I will do it. Let me do it. I can do it. What are you doing, mother? I'm doing it. Um, And uh, she can't use her foot. So she's in this place of vulnerability, of weakness, of dependence, of stillness. So many things she's aching to do that she can't do. But she does cheat and find a lot of ways. She cleaned the oven from the wheelchair. I'm not sure how she did that. Um, (laughs) Things that we don't like. And a lot of us are like, we're good with that for some areas. Here I am, Jesus, you know, fix me. I'm going to wait, and I'm cool, and yay. But then he puts his finger on another area, and we're like, ah! And we all know what our areas are. And if we don't, I believe the Holy Spirit might give us some light tonight. It's like, oh, is that what he's been trying to do? (laughs) That's so hard for us to just yield. And many of us, it's so hard for us to yield because of a lifetime of hurt and disappointment and deep hidden in our heart if we would listen. And you know, the Holy Spirit will take you deep hidden in your heart and show you the things you think and feel that you don't even know you think and feel like, well, Lord, if I can trust you, then where were you when I was five and this happened to me? Things that aren't even up here, but they're hidden down in that crushed heart. And you know, when I looked up brokenhearted, the language, the language To crush completely, to shatter, to break in pieces, broken into shivers. And when I read that one, broken into shivers, I said, you know, that's not repairable. If something's broken in half or a couple big pieces, you can glue it back together. But if something's broken in shivers, you can't repair that. That takes a miracle and bruising just Deep, deep, deep wounding that goes beyond what you can see on the inside, bleeding and brokenness. Only Jesus can see. Deep wounds. I want to share one more on on this this healing, the brokenhearted. Uh, How many of you heard Nicky Cruz uh, share his testimony when he was here, or you've read his book, or you've heard it? He talks about being this hardened, hardened New York City gangster, and I think he was 18 when he got saved. Heard it so many times, I should know, but I can't remember. But um, his testimony is so powerful because he was raised in uh, Puerto Rico by two witches. His mother and his, his father were in the black arts, and he saw them under demon possession and doing all of this crazy Santeria type of stuff, and people came to them from all over the island to get spiritual healings. And he was raised with all this demonic stuff. And his mother was just uh, possessed. She was, he literally saw her possessed. And so she just, for some reason, focused on him and treated him like dirt and told him horrible things as just a little child. And she would beat him and she would starve him. She would lock him in a room and 
just horrible things happened to him. And he ran away, and he was in New York City, and he was the head of a gang, and he was just a bloodthirsty, hard-hearted animal. And he went and he heard David Wilkerson preaching the gospel. And if you don't know the story, David Wilkerson was just a little skinny young preacher with his little wife in Pennsylvania out in the sticks somewhere. And he began to feel the Holy Ghost tell him, go to New York City. He saw, the, he saw a bunch of gangsters in trouble on the, on the newspaper, I think. And he went to New York City young and, and full of, full of uh, faith and stuff that young preachers have and he went to New York City following the Holy Spirit and it wasn't those people in the newspaper he ended up ministering to but Nikki Cruz's gang as the Lord led and he was out there in their faces just preaching the gospel to them and you know you got to be led by the Holy Spirit because sometimes people will start telling you well you don't need to say anything just just by your lifestyle and that's true but sometimes you need to say something and sometimes you need to preach the gospel when you know they're not going to receive it, no matter how they react to it, because it's the living word. <clears throat> and that word will work. It'll get in their heart. And he talked about going around hearing the words of this annoying, skinny preacher that he hated and didn't even know why he hated. He would go home and he couldn't sleep, and he'd hear those words and hear those words. And somehow he found himself at the big uh, gospel meeting thinking he was just going to go make fun of it. And to cut a long story short, he wound up in the altar being pulled by the Holy Spirit, not understanding much of anything. And when he describes how he broke it's the most beautiful thing. He said he finally just broke. You know, Jesus, if you're, if you're real, he just broke. And he said that it was like Jesus Christ came, reached inside of his chest, pulled his hard, broken heart out, and kissed it. And he felt love for the first time. And he put it back in. He said it was like a brand new heart, and he was a brand new person. He came to heal the broken heart. It was an absolute creative miracle. There's nobody that could have healed his heart. He'd been to all the psychologists, and they told him he was hopeless. He was going to live his life in prison if he lived. But Jesus was able to heal him. And you, those of you that know about him, he spent the rest of his life preaching the gospel. He's still preaching the gospel. He let Jesus go all the way. And I wish you could all hear his testimony because when he, I've heard him tell it so many times, I cry every single time because it's so real. But most of us never let Jesus go all the way. We hold back parts of our hearts. And we're too busy to get into a spiritual place because sometimes it takes time. It takes worship. It takes shutting everything out, getting alone with him completely whether it be by yourself or here in an altar, shutting everything down and everything, and just, Jesus, here I am. It doesn't come with him in second or third or fourth or fifth place, distractedly saying, oh, Jesus, I need you to heal me. He said, when you search for me with all your heart, then you will find me. So he came to heal the brokenhearted. To preach deliverance to the captives. And I told you that that word captives there meant captives, a prisoner of war. So the way that Satan takes us captive in this warfare. Um, turn to 2 Peter 2.19. 2 Peter 2.19. 
The next one right underneath that is uh, he came to, to uh, restore the sight to the blind. And I noticed that it was interesting while you're turning to 2 Peter 2.19. Restore the sight of the blind um, refers to somebody who used to see and now they're blind or wouldn't say restore. So how do you, can the devil just come and take you captive? Did the devil just come into the garden and just against their will take Adam and Eve kicking and screaming? In order for the devil to take you captive in this warfare, you have to believe a lie. And all of us have believed his lies. Whether that lie be, you know, nobody likes you, everybody hates, hates me, I guess I'll go eat worms. I mean, that's kind of what, the kind of, kind of what he, seriously, but there, there's people that will live their life in such deep bondage, feeling so sorry for themselves all the time because the devil has them focused on what does somebody else think about me? And, and you know, everybody hates me. And, and they'll walk around in this bondage. And I've met them, and so have you. And we've all dealt with that ourselves, making life decisions on an imaginary stupidity because of our own brokenness on the inside. Um, I told you to go to Second Peter. Let me get over there. Second Peter 2.19. Okay, well, they promised them liberty, talking about those that would, that would lead God's people astray into a sin, lives of sin. While they promised them liberty, you know, you have the freedom to do this. They themselves are the servants of corruption, for whom a man is, for of whom a man is overcome of the same as he brought in bondage. So I brought that scripture out to say, that we can't get into captivity in this warfare unless we believe a lie. And the Holy Spirit will show us the lies that we've believed for a long time and the lies that come at us on a daily basis. And you know that scripture that says, um, casting down vain imaginations and every, some, a few, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into, into captivity some thoughts, the worst ones, every thought to the obedience of Christ. And so as you and I are in here tonight, there are probably areas in our life where we are in captivity and don't even know it because we are not diligent to examine every thought that we accept I know, I know of something I'm, I'm, I've got going on right now that I'm fighting because I know it's not his word. But my flesh says it seems right, feels right, I think it's right. And then the Holy Spirit says, no, but the word says this. It's like, but that doesn't feel good. That doesn't feel right. I don't like that. I want to hold on to this thought. And if we're not careful, we'll get really casual about that kind of living because, hey, you know, I, maybe I talked God into it. Lightning didn't strike me. Nothing's going wrong. But I'm walking around captive and don't know it. I'm walking around in unforgiveness and don't know it. I'm not free. My light's not shining. His love's not flowing. Maybe I'm not healed. Maybe there's no power in my intercession that there should be because the word says if I don't forgive... Things like that, we become so callous and so casual about. 
And you know what Jesus paid to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captive free, and then we mess around with captivity and we hold on to our broken hearts. And he so wants to heal us and set us free. Um, time is it? 7.30. Um, the blind, the recovering of sight to the blind. When we believe a lie, we begin to lose our sight. We begin to lose, we begin to become blind. Okay? I'm going to use this as an example. I heard a, I heard a story the other day about... Um, a Christian person, a real Christian person. And this is how blind we can get. And this Christian person got into an argument in the flesh with a person who wasn't a Christian. <laughs> and she said a swear word and basically said, I'm a Christian and I'm right, blank, blank. <laughs> just to simplify it, and then went on to have this verbal altercation with this person that wasn't even saved with lots of colorful language and didn't even realize that that doesn't go along with Christian character. <laughs> and that's how ridiculous we can get. Well, most of us, you know, do it more in private, you know. But the word says every thought. It's like I might not say it, but I'm going to think it, and I'm going to ponder on it, and I'm going to feed on it for a while till God makes me give it up. <laughs> that, I don't, that stupid commercial came to my mind for those of you that are old enough to remember a mind is a terrible thing to waste. But, um, <laughs> but we're supposed to have the mind of Christ. And it was washed by the blood. And that we're so presumptuous that we forget so quickly what that cost. That sometimes I'll watch something on TV or watch something in a movie and then I get so convicted. And I'm like, why did I let that enter into the mind that the Lord washed with his own blood and his own sacrifice on Calvary? And that's how we need to think. And we have to fight for this. Even though Jesus did it all, we have to fight to let him do it in us. Yes. To bind up. And then, and then this is interesting. I'm going to wrap it up here. Um, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Well, I looked up that language, to set at liberty them that are bruised. And I found that set at liberty is the exact same word as deliverance. Up there where he said to preach deliverance to the captives. And then down here where he says to set at liberty them that are bruised, they're the same word. They chose to say deliverance in one and liberty in the other. But when I looked up that word, deliverance or liberty, it said freedom, pardon, forgiveness, liberty, remission. So deliverance, freedom, liberty, we get that. You get to go free. But there was three words in there that I went, huh, pardon, forgiveness, and remission. So 
if I'm taken captive in this warfare and he's preaching deliverance to me, he's not just preaching that he set me free from a circumstance of bondage. He's, he's preaching that, or he's preaching to me that my deliverance, my pardon, my forgiveness, my remission, my liberty, they're all wrapped up together. And we kind of get that with the captivity. Okay, maybe, maybe sin brought you into captivity and you need forgiveness for that. But down here in what I'm calling the fifth one, to set at liberty them that are bruised. When we see that bruised, and that's really similar to the root word of, up here where it said brokenhearted, it's like, why do I have to be forgiven for being bruised? Why do I have to be forgiven, pardoned, have remission for being hurt and injured? Well, it doesn't use that language in the first time he mentions it. The first time he mentions it, he just says to heal the brokenhearted. And then I describe to you how he heals, that it's a process that we have to submit ourselves to. But then down here, he talks about setting at liberty by forgiving us that are bruised and brokenhearted once again. And as I read that, I felt like the Lord began to show me a progression he came to preach the gospel to us, first of all. Then everybody's got a broken heart, and he came to heal our broken heart, and he does it first through, through preaching the gospel. Like in Nicky Cruz, he heard, he heard the gospel. He accepted it, and then Jesus came and healed his heart. And then three, we get to go, cap, we get to go uh, have deliverance from the captives. In his particular testimony, he talks about demonic spirits that then came tr and tried to kill him and torment him. But through the blood in the name of Jesus, he was delivered from that. And then number four, the recovering of the sight to the blind. And you can read in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, who's the gospel hid fr from but those who the enemy of, of, has blinded their minds. And so how do we get our sight back, but through the reading of the word and the study of the word, again, a process. It's there for us. But we have to open our eyes and read it. We have to meditate on it. We have to renew our minds. We have to let the word open our eyes. And then this last one, to set at liberty them that are bruised. And I felt like the Lord was telling me this is like a different level of brokenhearted. This is the brokenhearted that it didn't it didn't get through with the preaching of the gospel or the healing of the broken heart or the being the deliverance, the preaching of deliverance to the captives or the recovering of the sight to the blind, that there is such a deep bruising, deep, deep, deep inside the heart that we don't know how to let go of. It becomes an idol. And people who have been abused, deeply abused as children, they become so accustomed to living hurt and living damaged that it's like that man that was by the pool of Salome, been there year after year after year after year, and Jesus came and said, why are you laying here? And, well, you know, the angel comes every year, but everybody's faster than me. They all get in the water before me. I never get healed. And Jesus said, do you want to be healed? Sometimes that brokenness, that hurt, we're so used to living with it as an excuse for not living, for not having character, for not doing the right thing, for not being able to, for not being able to live the gospel, for not being able to serve God, for not being able to take care of our children, for not being able to keep a job, that we hold on to it like an idol. It's our comfort. It's all we know. We don't know what it's like to be healed, to be free, to be whole. 
And I've met so many people like this. And if you're not somebody like that, you know somebody like that. And as I, I read this and I studied it, I felt like the Lord was imparting to me you know, of always, always self-examination and an openness before him, but also another level of compassion, mercy, patience, love for those that are so deeply bruised. They've been brokenhearted, they've been shattered, and that bruising goes so very, very deep that though they've heard the gospel, though Jesus has touched them, though they know about being set free, though they've read the words and, and they shouldn't be blind, that, that that bruised place keeps them still bound, still blind. And it's our job for that one in your life and that one in my life to continue to pray, to continue to cry out for mercy, to continue to pray for the kind of a move of God like Nikki Cruz had in the 60s, like I had when I got saved, where the presence of God was so mighty and so powerful that it broke through everything in me, left me on the floor, not caring for hours of groaning and travailing in the spirit and letting him do surgery on me. We don't see those kind of moves of God anymore. Those moves of God come from praying saints who get up in the middle of the night in their closets where nobody can see and say, dear Jesus, there's people in my community that don't know you. They're bound. They're broken. Their children are being bound and being broken. If you don't move, you've got to move. You put me on this earth right now. These people are here now. I know you. I'm crying out to heaven for you to move. You have the power. You have the, you have the love. You have the desire, Lord God. I'm asking as your child, do we care? Do we care about the bound and the broken and the brokenhearted, the hurt and the bruised? Do we care? Are we just good with what we got? And for some of us, satisfied with what we got. And some people don't even know that what's available in Jesus Christ because all they see is us living a uh, Christian life. But if they saw somebody that looked like Jesus, if they saw somebody that loved like Jesus, that's where revival happens. People start following you around saying, well, I want what you got. And they show up in this house, and heaven's looking down, and I say, oh, my, they brought the hurting to me. I, you know, I came for the hurting, Jesus said. I came to preach the gospel to the poor, to the destitute, to set the captives free. Thank you for bringing them to me. As long as we're still alive on this earth, that's supposed to be regenerating and regenerating. We are not supposed to be a stagnant church. And when you begin to get this glimpse, sometimes just for our own selfishness, our own selfish word, that's not a that's not world, that's not enough to motivate us deeper in Christ. But when we really get a glimpse and realize that we have the power in him to change other people's lives through his promises, through his word, through his Holy Spirit, and I, and I hear people, sometimes they have the attitude of, well, I don't, I don't, I don't hear from the Holy Spirit. He doesn't talk to me. I don't, I don't move in the gifts. I don't, I don't get any light when I read the Word. I don't really, you know, I believe in the Holy Spirit, and I see him for other people. And it's like they have, the, they know the gift of the Holy Spirit is for theirs, but it's like they left it in the box and put it in the closet because they didn't know what to do with it. 
We're going to answer for that. I didn't know what to do with it. I still don't know what to do with it fully. But when I first got saved and I read about it, it's like, give it to me and show me what to do with it, Lord, you know. And if we can stay humble, if we can stay like that pauper, like that beggar, he will hear us. If we don't become proud, if we can get up in the morning and say, your Holy Spirit is so massive and incredible and created the, the world. And Jesus went around with the Holy Spirit and healed all those people and, and all the things that Paul did. And you gave him to me. God, teach me how to yield to him, honor him, let him move through me. But that we go through whole days and don't even, oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit. We don't even think about the incredible gift that's been given to us or what he came to do. Well, I'm, I'm going to stop there. It's, there there's, there's, a, there's a whole bunch more there in that passage. But uh, I'm going to read this scripture because it's sitting here right in front of me. In uh, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 16. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, speaking of Israel, who doesn't see their um, Messiah as yet, and so they're blinded. The veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I want you to notice that in this passage, he's, he's comparing blindness and liberty, much like in the passage that we were reading earlier. Now where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, but we all with open face, beholding as in the glass the glory of the Lord, so where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. The veil's taken away. The blinders are taken away, and we can see. And when we can see, we are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And that's another picture of that healing, layers and layers and depths and depths. And if we can behold his face and not run from him and stay there, he can heal us. I'm going to share this one little story to close. Um, it's a funny story about Marty, but I think it kind of depicts it. Um, if the Holy Ghost can show us where we don't yield to him, where we run from him. He had uh, messed up his knee. And my husband, a lot like my mom, doesn't. he's like a strong personality, and he doesn't like being out of control, and he can't stand doctors, dentists, any of that. So... His knee was all messed up, and he played tennis, and he really wanted to play, and he needed surgery, and talked himself into the surgery. <laughs> and he goes in to get his knee surgery, and um, I'm driving away, and I'm going to come back and get him. It's like an outpatient thing. And I get a call like 15 minutes later saying, come back and get me. And I'm like, but you're scheduled for surgery. You went through the pre-op and everything. And I come back, and he's outside the office like, hurry, 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 runs and jumps in the car. And he had, <laughs> like he escaped, and he had uh, mark, markers. They marked his leg all up, like here's where we're going to cut. And he said that they, he goes, that was insane. He goes, he sent me, they sent me in a line, and there's like 10 people, and they started drawing on our legs like they don't know where to cut me <laughs> or which leg it was. And he goes, I'm not staying for that. And he said, and they were all yelling at him when he left, you can't leave. And he's like, watch me. <laughs> but it, I thought about that when I was studying this because if we won't get on the operating table you know Jesus can't operate <laughs> yeah. 
And there's things in all of us that he wants to operate on. If, we, if we'll go and we'll ask him and we'll yield and say, I'm here, Lord, continue your work in me. Make me what you want me to be. Father, we just come before you tonight. We thank you for your word. I thank you for these precious saints here tonight. God, that you would continue your work. Go deeper in us, Lord God. Show us those things that we're blind to, Lord. Don't let us be lukewarm. Don't let us go our own way. We're here because we want to love you. We want to serve you. We want to be obedient. We want to know you more. We want to be what you bought us to be, Lord God. That's why we're here. So we ask you to do it. And we ask you to help us in those areas where we buck, where we run. We submit that to you, Lord God. Even the part of us that's saying, no, I don't want to submit that to you. We do it as an act of our will and ask you, Lord God, to continue to work in us, to cause us to be willing and obedient to do your good pleasure. As you promised in your word that you would, Lord. And we'll give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' mighty name. And if somebody wants to come and play the piano, I just, I don't want to leave without opening it up. If there's somebody that you feel like you have a, a deep bruising or, or an area of a broken heart or captivity and you want prayer before we leave, I'd like to give you the opportunity to come up and let us, let us pray with you in the presence of the Lord. And if not, we just worship the Lord.
do 